Welcome to Voyage of Discovery. I'm your host, Mary Osborne, the museum specialist at the Stewart House, the birthplace of Kappa Kappa Gamma. This month, we continue with our series of special guests. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Denise Rugani, Kappa's ritual and history director. Denise, thanks for joining me. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? So I was uh, born and raised in Northern California, which is right outside the Bay Area. Um, I went to UC Davis and graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology. Uh, after college, I decided I would, didn't quite know what I was going to do. So I was, um, went, became a field rep for Kappa, and I actually was a field rep for three years. And one of the last couple of years, I earned my um, master's degree in school counseling from the University of Maryland. Um, I've been an educator actually for 25 years, and I was a high school history teacher, a school counselor high school assistant principal. I was a middle school principal for seven years at a Title I school. And then for the past nine years, I've been the associate superintendent of human resources for a, um, a high school district. Uh, since graduating from Davis, um, I've, I've been a volunteer for Kappa in various roles. I had the privilege of being part of the fraternity council for 10 years um, and was fraternity president from 2006 to 2010. And for the past few years, um, I've had the privilege of being a ritual and history director. I think many of our listeners are familiar with that, that title, but they may not know what you do as Ritual and History Director. So could you tell us a little bit about your responsibilities? Sure, yeah. In a nutshell, it's just to be making our accessibility, making our Ritual and History accessible to all its members and to allow them to really experience the beauty in the words of our ritual and the richness, richness of our history. The responsibilities of my fabulous team and I is to really ensure that our associations and chapters learn our ritual and feel comfortable performing our ritual so that every member can experience the beauty of Kappa. I truly have a wonderful team and together we work together to assist and train our collegiate and alumni members in our ritual. When it comes to the history side, our role is to make sure that our documents continue to live and resonate through our membership. In order to move forward and make changes for the better, we really must understand where we've come from. And so not only does our fraternity have a history, but each of our chapters have their own unique journey. And it's important to memorialize all the experiences. Currently, our, um, we have Capopedia that shares the stories of each chapter, as well as our digital archives that preserves events in the history of our organizations. One of the goals of digitizing our archives is so that all our members have access to our history from, the, from past conventions to recruitment events and to philanthropic events over the time. Preserving Kappa's history and making it accessible to all of our members is so important. Have you always been interested in history? Yes, I've actually always really enjoyed and loved history. Um, it's, it's always been a passion of mine, even when I was in high school. Absolutely loved it. And I really have always believed that one needs to understand the evolution of society and their behaviors in order to move forward. I had a great class in high school. It was, it was social issues class, and that's what it really looked at. And so when making decisions, I always want to understand the reasons of why things are done in a certain way. So studying history gives you kind of a window into the past, the thoughts, the beliefs, the values, and actions of humans in their society. What's your favorite era? Ironically, I don't have a favorite era because I really feel that each era is really special in its own right. When I was a teacher, I thrived in actually teaching every era of history. I really worked to create a sense of intellectual curiosity among my students to get them to ask questions regarding the political, economic, social, and cultural aspects of each time period. We also spent a lot of time looking at how 
Sometimes our attitudes repeat themselves throughout history and how we should be purposeful in our thoughts to move our society forward. I really also love to travel. Um, one of my favorite trips was going to Greece and tracing some of the history in our ritual. Our listeners know how much I love talking about my favorite Kappa, Dr. Crawford from Cornell, um, and the founders, of course. But So do you have a favorite Kappa or Kappas from history? So I honestly, again, I don't really have a favorite Kappa. I have many favorite Kappas. Some of them are some of my most wonderful mentors in my life. And most all of them really have a passion for history and their innovative ideas and they've moved the organization forward. Some examples from history from the past would be like Tate Hearts of Coons, who chaired the, the committee to publish the first women's magazine. The key Macy Whiting, Whiting Westerman, who wrote the 1932 history of Kappa Kappa Gamma, which I actually love reading. Or Charlotte Beryl Ware, um, through her son, spontaneity, created the beginning of an, our now treasured passing of the light ceremony. In the end, I really do believe that each of us as Kappas, through our simple, ordinary actions, create extraordinary history. You mentioned Kappapedia earlier, uh, which is a great resource, and you actually have a, your own page on Kappapedia, and it begins with this quote, understanding and valuing the past is extremely important. Our history needs to be treasured. In order to move forward, I believe you need to know from where you have come. How did you ensure that Kappa's history would be treasured during your presidency? By being fraternity president, I was able to have the opportunity to share a history and our ritual with alumni and collegians. And I always tried to weave it in on all of my visits. Those are some of my most fun experiences. I also really do love, love sharing and reading the 1932 history of Kappa Kappa Gamma. Every time I pick that book up, I'm reminded of something or learn something new about Kappa and try to work it in or weave it into the history tidbits into conversations. What I continue to find fascinating is that the philosophy of our founders have not changed. The preamble to our bylaws is largely unchanged from the words written by our founders. Our preamble states, we believing a closer union in the bonds of friendship to be for our mutual benefit, appreciating the advantages to be derived from a secret fraternity, and feeling that in union there is strength, hereby form ourselves into the association for the development of nobler qualities of the mind and finer feelings of the heart, and for mutual helpfulness in the attainment of individual and social excellence. And when you look back in that history book, those words are there, and that, that's incredible to me. So as president, I really actually work behind the scenes to support these efforts, efforts and the ideas such as Kylie's idea of creating Capipedia, which is like a Wikipedia for Kappa, um, that basically includes all the histories of the chapters, it has all the, the, you know, the editions of the key magazine that are in there, biographies of former presidents, the founders. I mean, it really was a precursor to digitizing our archives. Of course, it's October and we are focused on all things sesquicentennial right now. When you were president, what were your goals for the commemoration of the sesquicentennial? Actually, I vividly remember sitting around the council table thinking, wow, it's 14 years away. Seems like an eternity, you know, at the time. And like most things, it's here before we know it. So our goals were really to create a living and lasting legacy of our history that would be shared by all our members. To do it, we wanted to do it in steps along the way. So the first step was installing the historical markers, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But then as a president who left history, I used to attend the museum meetings. 
And this is where Julie Martin Mangus, uh, George Washington, as museum's chairman, had the wonderful idea of creating a traveling exhibit commemorating a century of women's history from 1870 to 1970. And then her wonderfully brilliant Gamakai sister, Edie Mayo, the Smithsonian Curator Emerita, scripted the ex exhibits um, the first 50 years Education to Enfranchisement was unveiled at the convention in 2010 while I was president. We were also talking a lot about having some sort of a written history. And what we had ended up was using the Key Magazine as a vehicle to celebrate our sesquicentennial. It's wonderful for me to see that so many years later, to see the global idea of celebrating our 150th through the Key Magazine came to fruition. We had a lot of other ideas. One was to have an Olympic-type flame around Northern America, beginning in Monmouth and ending in Boca Raton. The minivan turned out to be an even better idea as it was able to share parts of the tradition of, of leadership exhibit as well as many of the other artifacts of our history. We never would have imagined that a global pandemic would create the opportunity for a virtual convention and Founders Day to celebrate our sesquicentennial. And for all of you listeners who are wanting to know more about the Mini Stewart van, um, please check out Voyage of Discovery's earlier episode with the ambassadors, Karen Nichols and Elizabeth Smith. So in your opinion, Denise, what is the best way we can value Kappa's history today? Really to make it accessible and relatable and really to help every member and future member see themselves in the history. We, it's important to work to create simple ways to share our history with our members. The Ritual and History team creates monthly little history nuggets that we share with alumni associations and chapters. And it's really always important for our members to understand that each day, as I've said before, with their actions, they are truly creating our history. One way that we make campus history accessible is through the use of historical markers. And there are two that are related to Kappa in Monmouth, uh, one at Monmouth College, and one at Lou Stevenson's home. What is the background of these markers and how involved were you in the installation process? So these were actually the brilliant idea of former fraternity president Kay Smith-Larson from Washington. I was fraternity president and she was serving as, as the history chairman and the sesquicentennial chairman at the time. Uh, Kay knew we needed to take small steps leading up to the 150th celebration and that it would be really important to build up to the event. And so I was so glad that she did, especially since now this, you know, last past year we've been, you know, it's been stuck within the pandemic and we've had to modify a lot of our celebrations. Um, the markers are known by everyone in town and visited by most Kappas who make the trek to Monmouth with the goal of walking in the footsteps of our founders. The markers on the college campus is especially important because it marks the spot where the Kappa Bridge stood. The bridge on which Lou Bennett and Jenny Boyd had that early conversation about starting something new. The bridge doesn't exist anymore, but it's known by almost every Kappa. So it was really important to have a place that we could recognize that momentous occasion and that conversation. So I had the opportunity to travel to Monmouth to help dedicate um, the markers with Kay. Probably one of the most special and memorable um, moments of the dedication was the marker that we placed in front of Lou Stevenson's home. The owners of the home weren't related to the Stevensons, but they loved the connection to the home in his, in the, and the historic organization like Kappa. Um, so they came out of their home and really um, part of actually the unveiling of the marker. Lou Stevenson's granddaughter also, Sarah Millery Johnson, also attended. So it really made the whole event really special. In your opinion, what are the pros and cons of using markers to commemorate history? So the pros of markers really is that they provide hands-on education outside the classroom. Historical markers give you context. 
in one way, it's like a longer, um, more visible museum label. You know, if you've ever gone to an art museum and you kind of look at a painting and you wonder what the artist was thinking when they created it, that's sort of what historical markers do. And they let you know what the townspeople were thinking about something that happened there and provide an opportunity for the individuals to stand next to them or take a picture. Historical markers tell some of the stories that don't really appear in classroom curriculum. I think some cons might be for historians is that you really can't put very much on a historical marker. It's not a full history exhibit and it doesn't always answer the questions that might be prompted. It takes a long time. It took us a long time as a group of, you know, even we had a dozen of people involved trying to come up with the wordings for our two markers. We kept asking ourselves, what if the viewer had never heard of Kappa Kappa Gamma? Or what if this is the only thing they ever read about Kappa? So there was a lot of pressure to get the information right. Others might say that historical markers are boring. They're just about words. And markers also may not always represent positive moments in history, as we have seen today, giving us a moment to pause and remind us that we really need to be better humans and continue to confront our history. Funny that it may be that I am usually the one in the car, unless I'm with Kylie, who we have had taken some road trips together, who points out you know, historical markers on the way and really beg people to stop. Totally not always the most popular passenger. <laughs> yes, I can, I can attest to <laughs> Kylie's fascination with historical markers, but I, I enjoy them too. Are there other people or events in campus history that you would like to see commemorated? No, that's a good question. I, I like the idea of commemorating our founders. And Mary, you do an amazing job of this at the Stewart House Museum. We do this in many also of our educational programs. I'd love to see if we can commemorate more of our members um, who have made a difference in their communities and in the world. Um, we have so many members out there that have given years to their associations or the longevity of our chapters, and we really need to continue to work on this, like what we've done really in the upcoming sesquicentennial issue of The Key Magazine, which has been done, done so well. We have had and continue to have amazing members, and it's really incumbent upon us to purposefully search for the wonderful things that Kappas are doing and to recognize them. You know, in this way, we will continue to inspire the next generation of Kappas to do some incredible things. How has your involvement in preserving campus history changed since becoming Ritual and History Director? I don't know if it's maybe changed kind of evolved, because I've always really loved Kappa Ritual and History and history in general. <clears throat> so like when I was a field rep, I literally would spend evenings in chapter archives, reading newspaper clippings, um, looking at photo albums. And then, you know, then after that, I became a history teacher and did the same things. I would pass out these really cool old magazines to my students and have them look about what was going on at that time period. Um, so I really feel like serving as ritual and history director is just a perfect combination of two things that I really love. It gives me the opportunity to continue to help teach history and help our members be aware of our incredible legacy and the legacy that we've been given. Our ritual is really a vehicle to share our values and our history using the beautiful and symbolic language that makes it more memorable. You know, and our responsibility really is to continue to create ways to make our history more accessible and our ritual more inclusive to our membership. Fortunately, I have a team of amazing women to help me through this process. The way we engage with our members has changed drastically since the pandemic began. I know you've been doing programs and initiations virtually. What benefits have you seen because of this change? So during the spring, when the actual pandemic hit um, and everything was shutting down, my team and I actually conducted 38 initiations and we initiated over 1,100 women. And so I was really blessed to have a collaborative team and a couple of wonderful singers to boot. That always helps. 
But a major benefit, I think, with the virtual initiations in the spring, as well as currently, are they're extremely inclusive. Because we're able to conduct the ceremonies on Zoom, alumni who may not have had the opportunity to attend them in person are able to hear the words of our ritual and participate in the initiations. Another benefit is that chapters are able to hear the correct pronunciations and truly know what really how they're supposed to run what's supposed to happen and they were all the same. So they were able to all receive the same experience when people were initiated. Currently though, what we're trying to do is train our chapter officers to hold their own virtual initiations with our assistants. And I think it's so important that our chapters lead, lead their own initiations just so that they feel a part of it and the members who know them see their leaders running the, you know, running the initiation. Even though you know, the virtual initiations have been a wonderful success and they're really positive. I do look forward to the day when we'll be able to conduct these ceremonies in person again. I think it's it's really important for our members, our new members, to experience the beauty of our ritual together as a chapter and in person. And looking ahead to the future, uh, how would you like to see Kappa celebrate its 175th anniversary? Well, actually, I would love to see the completion of the last 50 years of the traditional leadership exhibit from 1970 to 2020. And I hope we just continue to combine the best of all we have learned during the pandemic, you know, like creating a celebration that's inclusive of all our members, that's both in person and virtual. You know, who knows what type of technology is going to be available at that time. But I do think it's really important that we truly celebrate all of who we are as Kappas, you know, where we've come from, all that we've achieved and where we'll continue to grow. Thank you so much, Denise, for all of your reflections on how Kappas commemorate history. And thank you for being my last guest speaker for Voyage of Discovery. I'm wrapping things up because we are in our, our final month of observing the sesquicentennial. So that's all the time we have for today. This voyage during Kappa's sesquicentennial year has ended, but if you are craving more Kappa history, please subscribe to the podcast Key Matters, hosted by archivist and museum director Kylie Tower-Smith and myself. I'm Mary Osborne for Voyage of Discovery. Voyage of Discovery is recorded at the Stewart House, an educational outreach program of the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit the Foundation's page on kappa.org. Like us on Facebook and follow Stewart House 1865 on Instagram. Thanks for listening.